the hymn on page two of our bulletin, Christian Hearts in Love United. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, who keeps truth forever, and who will never forsake the works of his own hands. Amen. Dear congregation, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Let us continue this afternoon's worship service with singing Psalter 133, taken from Psalm 48, the Church of the Living God. Our scripture reading comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, the sermon will focus on just the last two verses. But I will always read the whole uh, chapter. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had droopsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ass, 
that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you were invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. And the first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now a great, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. 
So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Let us now also confess our faith together as we can find it summarized in the Apostles' Creed and recorded in the front cover of your Psalter. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us now sing together in response from Psalter 353.
Let us now draw near to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our eternal and most holy and merciful Father, Psalter 100, as we prepare to hear God's word. Dear congregation, do you ever wonder what the purpose of your life is? 
When so many things go so different than you had expected, or maybe wherever your life puts you, whether it's in your home, or in your school, or in your work, you wonder really what influence do you have? What is your purpose? Or maybe in your health condition, you feel so helpless, dependent on other people. What is your purpose? And how does total commitment to Christ give you purpose? As we read through chapter 14 here in Luke, for some context, we see the Lord Jesus eating bread by one of the rulers, and then he tells a series of parables, and he's speaking here to the guests and to the hosts, and this, this last parable here of the Great Supper is an invitation to the gospel, where it says, come for all things are ready. It shows how Christ has come into the world, how God has revealed his gospel, and how he invites all who hear to come to him, to God who supplies everything that is needed. And we see this parable, how it explains how, how the Jews rejected the Lord Jesus, how they had all sorts of excuses and went to their fields, and how the Lord then goes out into the highways and hedges with the gospel, calling and compelling sinners to come unto him. And even as the, the Pharisees rejected the Lord Jesus, we see the, the common people heard him gladly. The people came to him for healing and for, for teaching. And that's what we see here in verse 25. It says, now great multitudes went with him. And you'd think, and he would be happy if he had a great following. But then notice what the Lord Jesus does. He turns to them and says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, his own life also cannot be by disciple. The Lord Jesus says there's a cost to following him. There's a cost to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus because you cannot serve God and the world at the same time. And so he's, he's indicating to all those who are coming after him to realize what, is, what they're doing and to realize who Christ is. That he is either your everything or he is your nothing. You can't serve him and the world. And so this verse 26, it shows there's a cost. And in verse 27, he says, he gives them an ultimatum. And he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And the reason I explain it this way is I did a short series in my congregation on this. And so there's an ultimatum. And then verses uh, 29, sorry, 28 through 31, he gives, he gives his rationale for it. How he gives these illustrations of how a builder begins to build, but if he cannot finish, then he is mocked. And so people who follow Christ and then fall away, they're like the builder who can't finish. There's a rationale for considering the cost, for counting the cost. Because the Lord Jesus demands a total commitment to following him. And so, in these last two verses here, verses 34 and 35, we see we come to the purpose. The purpose of total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. The total commitment of a disciple who, if you take up your cross and follow after him, you must do so fully. And so here we see, as the theme indicates, salt and the purpose. 
and how it relates to the purpose of total commitment to Christ. So then is there a purpose to all the painful things and sufferings that God's children endure? You may have many questions in this life, but why this self-denying cross? Why this impossible cost? Well, we know and believe that in His providence, God has a divine purpose for all things, and especially for His requirement for disciples to have a total commitment to following Him in this world, in this life, and therefore the purpose for total commitment. Our text then is in 34 and 35, and I'll read again. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Salt serves a good purpose. Good salt serves a good purpose, is our first thought. Because salt, a good salt has a good purpose. And in Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. So what is salt used for? It seems like salt is used in every food product nowadays. It preserves food. It, it keeps the bacteria down. It, it seasoned it to enhance, your flavor, uh, enhance the flavor. It's used in baking to, to bind and stabilize and it's, our bodies need salt to maintain that balance of, of nutrition and water and minerals. Salt, it dissolves in, in, in water and it penetrates everything. And so it has far-reaching effects. But salt was also in those days used as an antiseptic. As we read in Ezekiel 16, verse 4, it mentions how salt was used, would be used for treating a baby when it's, when it's newly born. But it, it also it says that salt was used on manure piles to somehow preserve or enhance the fertilizing properties of the manure. And, and so here Jesus says, salt is good. And he's using this as an illustration to say that you are the salt of the earth. You are called to serve God's good purpose on this earth. And you may wonder, well, how? Well, it's through his word and by his spirit. And you think of who the Lord Jesus is speaking to here. It's his disciples and the crowd that was following him. But the disciples specifically would be the ones who'd be sent out into all the world to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. They'd be going around to preach and to teach. But this applies to every Christian, to every one of you in this world. Christians, God's children, serve a purpose to preserve this world, to preserve the word of God, the truth of God in this world, to promote the good, to restrain the evil. And I believe it's Calvin even, he says that even where God's laws are held in an outward way in a country, even as our country has been for a number of years, there's relative peace, there's stability it's preserved with a certain uh, a truth. And so Christians are to be the flavor of the earth. They're to season it with the spreading of God's word, to be the, to be the witness with the fruit of the Spirit. And so the word of God and, and his laws, they, 
they served in effect to, to bind together and to give stability to families and to churches and to communities and, and to nations. And so this, this word, it must, it must penetrate the whole of society. It must penetrate all of our lives. And we realize that with salt, if you use it in your food, it doesn't take much to season your food. It only takes a little sprinkle. But the salt must be good. And to preserve meat, often salt is used, and then you would use a little, little bit more. But still, in comparison to the size of the meat, it's not very much salt. And as we read in verse 31, where that king had to consider if he could, with 10,000, go to meet the army of the enemy coming against him with 20,000, that he had to consider this. But, but if you think about the Christian who are so few in number, the disciples, but 11 here to start in, in a world of iniquity. Only a little salt can season the whole meal. And if you think practically of your own life, wherever you work, or wherever you are, you may have experienced it, and to know that even if people from the world know that you are a Christian, they will refrain from swearing or from doing certain things they know are evil. Just the presence of a Christian has a restraining effect on the wicked around them. And so here we see just these few disciples. The Lord commanded them to go out into all the world. And so every Christian here, you and me, we are to be that little grain of salt wherever the Lord has placed us in the tasteless dish of this world. And you don't need to be great. Salt is not like a candle you put on a piece of cake, but it's hidden inside. You, you don't see it. We're not supposed to be great, but in fact the Lord has taught us to be humble, to humble ourselves before God and others. And so there's nothing spectacular or, or magnificent about being a piece of salt or to be a servant of the Lord, and yet it serves an important purpose. Every Christian serves an important purpose. Because without this salt, the food would be bland. Without the salt, that meat would spoil. And so in whatever corner of the world that God has placed you, whether you are a child in your family or in school, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, whether at work or at home, that is where God has placed you. And maybe sometimes you can think, well, God has forgotten me here, just left me in this corner of the world with no purpose. But this is right where God has placed you to make the difference. This is where you can be most effective. This is where you live with that self-denying loyalty in obedience and total commitment to Christ. This is where you serve God in your life, in your world. This is where you add the flavor of God. This is where you do your work faithfully. This is where you speak the word of God, whether it's to your children, to your co-workers, to in school, or wherever it may be. This is where God has you flavoring the world, the corrupt world. And then as good salt, God has placed you there for a good purpose. But then secondly, that purpose is lost when the salt has lost its flavor. 
that purpose is lost when the salt has lost its flavor. Because bad salt has no purpose. It says if salt loses, if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Matthew 5 or 13 adds, then it is good for nothing. Useless. Now the salt in our day is a little different than it was apparently in the Lord Jesus' day. In the Lord Jesus' day, the, the salt didn't have the same sodium chloride content. It could easily leach out and become useless. And so if it becomes bland, then, then it's no longer useful. It doesn't add flavor. It won't preserve anything. And then there's nothing to do with it except throw it away, to throw it in the garbage. And this, this word is also translated as foolish. So in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20, it says, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so salt that has lost its flavor is salt that has become foolish. It's nonsense. To use salt without flavor is, is nonsense. It doesn't do anything. It's therefore good for nothing. And so if it becomes useless, it also becomes repulsive, hateful. It's, now it becomes a burden. Rather than doing good, now you have something you have to dispose of. And so Jesus says in verse 35, it's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. And if it, be, if it becomes stale like this, it's not even good in the fertilizer, in the manure pile anymore. It actually hinders instead of helps. It doesn't produce anything good itself, and it doesn't help the fertilizer increase. And so there's absolutely nothing to do with it except throw it out. And Jesus is saying that if Christians have lost their effect, have lost their saltiness, their ability to flavor the earth and preserve the truth in this world, and they've become useless, they're nonsense, and they're repulsive. So then the question is, how do we become useless Christians? Well, in this context of Luke 14, we become good for nothing if we do not bear our cross and come after Christ with total commitment. We do not flavor or preserve the world when we compromise the truth. When we seek conditions of peace, with the enemy. As this example of the soldier, of the, the king, he had to see if he could go up against uh, the army coming against him, and etc. or else he will see if he can seek conditions of peace. And what we do in this world is we seek conditions of peace to avoid a battle with the enemy. But salt must be applied. It needs to be sprinkled. Salt needs to be put on to change what is there. Christians need to be in this world to preserve the world, to change the evil, to uphold the word and truth of God. And we see that some turn away from God completely. Some could not finish. And then their faith was not saving faith, but it was temporal faith. And now the gospel itself has no effect on them. They have sinned against a better knowledge. They have sinned against grace. They have willfully neglected 
and despise the only remedy for their soul. And now there's no other way for them to be seasoned again. If the word of God does not take effect on their hearts, there is no other way of salvation, no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Those are for people who fall away from the faith, but Christians who, by the grace of God, cannot lose entirely their salvation. They can still lose their saltiness in this world by a careless life. Or when we grow weak, when we grow timid or afraid to carry the cross. This world is fallen in sin, tasteless before a holy God, and will be thrown out in His wrath and justice. But for Christians who claim to follow Christ and the Word of God, if we become tasteless, it is even more detestable. Christ said in Revelation 3.16, Because you're neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Bland salt to be rejected. And in this world we can salvage many things when they break, but salt that has lost its flavor cannot be salted again. It's not even useful for composting piles. In fact, it makes the soil worse for growing. People who fall away from the faith become a negative effect on the world. Instead of leading people, drawing people to Christ, they now repel them from Christ. Because they say, if you were once a Christian, then I want nothing to do with that. Or they tell people it did not work for them. But if Christians walk in sin... If we bear the name of Christ and we continue to live in sin or if we remain silent when we know others, even a brother or sister is walking in sin or those around us, and then it emboldens other to con- others to continue in sin. There's nothing exposing them. There's nothing resisting them. And so God has sprinkled you and me on this earth like salt. But if we become conformed to this world and blend into the mixture without seasoning it, then we become good for nothing. We bring no flavor, no change, but simply disappear into the crowd. And we lose our saltiness. And we could be like a Pharisee who comes dressed up to church and we can live outwardly as Christians, but if we do not bear the cross, if we do not be that salt and light in this world, we are nothing. If we are called Christians, but our Sundays are used for work or for sports or for study or for entertainment, it says that God is not important to you and you're not being the salt, but you're blending into the ways of the world. If we allow certain sins to reign in our hearts, in our lives, if we tolerate it even in our friends around us, we're not being salt. But then we become stale and hardened against the gospel. Because it is so, especially young people, that when we meet others, other friends, and we see sins in their lives, and at first it's It's repulsive to you. And you say, why do you live in those sins? But if you tolerate it, if you don't stand up against it, what happens is you become accustomed to it. It becomes normalized to you. 
You blend in. You become stale. And the next thing you know, you yourself will do those very same sins that you once hated. That is why be careful who your friends are. If we give in to the immorality that is corrupting our nations, if we blend in with the world, then what good are we to the world? Then instead of a remedy to the nations, we become good for nothing. Christians without flavor hinder others from coming to Christ. And the world watches us. And they watch you to see how you live and how you act and how you talk. They know that the Bible says what sin is. They know the Bible condemns what this country is now promoting. And they're trying to squash it. And they're seeing what you will say. Be the salt. Be the seasoning by the grace of God. When 1 Timothy 3.15 says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And if the church becomes conformed to the changing world and does not teach and defend these doctrines of God, then it has lost its salting effect and become good for nothing. How often have we seen that happening in our day? And so Jesus says this does come with a cost. This requires taking up our cross daily. But what value is an unfinished tower? What are the consequences of submitting to the enemy? What are the consequences of compromising our faith and the Word of God to try to maintain some peace? That is a salt that has lost its flavor and become good for nothing. What can it be seasoned with again? Do you see how the Lord Jesus here is encouraging you and emphasizing the seriousness of our calling to total commitment to follow Him, to take up that cross. He never promised that it would be easy. And you see how these trials begin to separate that good salt from the bad, that true faith from false faith. And it's a sobering thought, isn't it? That if we are not true salt, that will be cast out in the end. But it's also convicting, isn't it, that we are not perfect salt. Because none of us can say here that we are the salt. That we can perfectly take up our cross. And we have to acknowledge and admit that we don't have this salt of ourselves. We don't produce this ourselves. Because if we try to, when we are not, and it doesn't season, but it spoils. Peter said he would go with Christ even to death. He tried to go in his own strength. And if we try to go in up against the world in our own strength, we will fail and we will fall. But we need Christ. We need His grace. We need His Holy Spirit. We need repentance of our sins. We need faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
dependence on Him, looking to Him who was that perfect salt in this world. Because it's His Word alone that can flavor this world. It's not us. It's His Word by His Spirit that works through His people. And so that's what we see lastly, that purpose accomplished through Christ. He ends this saying, and by, in verse 35, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we hear this when it convicts our hearts. When our consciences accuse us of our shortcomings in this. And our recognition of our inability to be this salt in this world. And to acknowledge how often in our life already we have been so bland. We have blended into this world. Whether it's in our work, how long did it take us to let our co-workers know that we were Christians? Or in university, young people, or school, do you just go through those halls and really hope no one knows you're a Christian? Or do you stand there and are you able to speak of your faith? And so we can feel this pressure when we ask ourselves, and what really is the purpose of my life where God has placed us? Well, what is the remedy? In a similar passage in Mark 9, verse 50, Jesus says, Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So have salt in yourselves. That's where we begin. In order to be able to be the salt of the world, we must be salted. We must have salt in ourselves. And where does that come from? What is it? Well, our our character and our conduct must be seasoned by the Word of God. Our saltiness comes from the Word of God affecting our lives to live to His glory and to speak His Word. Philippians 2 verse 14 says something similar. He said, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's another illustration that he used, a similar assault, a light in the world, holding fast the word of life. It's a humbling thought, isn't it, that, that God would see fit to use people like us as salt in this world. We who, who ourselves are once found tasteless in this world, who ourselves are once found in, in the wickedness of this world to some degree or other. But it's by His grace that we've been seasoned by His Spirit through His Word. Back to Ezekiel 16, it's God says He, he found you like a newborn baby that was thrown out into the desert to die. It was not washed, it was not treated, it was not, not treated with salt, but left helpless out in the desert heat to die. That's a picture of every one of us by nature, born and conceived in sin, cast out from God, enemies against God. But then God comes and says, live. He gives you life by His Word and Spirit. And He salted you with His Word and His truth to preserve you from eternal destruction. And He seasons you to His glory to live to His glory. 
for the, to, to produce the fruits of the Spirit. It's God alone who gives you that, that life and that seasoning. And now God has a purpose for you as well in this world. That wherever you have come from, and whatever rotting manure pile he would have pulled you off of and renewed you to life in him, he now has seasoned you and uses you to season this world. And your change only came by grace through faith, by the power of his Spirit. And it's by that grace and by that same Spirit and by that faith and through his word that you can be salt and light in this world. And when Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew 10:8, he said, Freely you have received, freely give. You've received by grace, freely from the Lord. We are to be salt by what we receive. <coughs> it doesn't come from us. And that's so good to know because so often we have to confess that we can't do it. But that means we also need to look away from ourselves <coughs> and to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> for it's for his sake alone that he has given his Holy Spirit to you. And it's for his sake. And it's his word that you speak. It's his word that you rely on. It's his grace and his power that you use, that you receive. And it's His Word and Spirit alone that can bring sinners to salvation and to turn them around and to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means that we ourselves need to be in the Word of God. When we see the wickedness rising up in our nation, that means we need to rise up in the Word of God to study in your private devotions, in your prayer, here in the worship service, and wherever it is that, whether it be Bible studies or prayer meetings or, or Sunday school or catechism class, this is where you need to soak in the Word of God, that He may fill you, that you may receive from Him, that He may use you in this world wherever He sees fit to put you, and be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Be doers of the Word to be salt, to speak, and to do. Because if we hear all our life, and it never changes our lives or our words. We are hearers and not doers. And we will become useless. But as a church, Jesus also gives advice to the disciples in Mark 9 verse 50. He says, peace, have peace with one another. We have to be careful how much salt we add, don't we? There is such a thing as too much salt. It can make food inedible. And if you've ever had the lid pop off when you're adding seasoning salt to your meal, it's virtually impossible to salvage that meal. It's too salty. But when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. There is a proper way to go about this world, to dispense the salt, so to speak. Jesus is indicating that this especially begins here in the household of God. There is to be peace and unity among the apostles, among the believers. There must be peace within the church and the families. We must salt one another with God's word. We must help each other 
that we do not allow each other to drift away from the Word of God. And that begins right here in your seats, where he says, And therefore take heed how you hear, in Luke 8, verse 18, For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. He who he has ears to hear. And then he says in Luke 8 there, Take heed how you hear. Receive God's word into your heart. And by his grace, pray for his work. And then when the service ends, do you speak to your neighbor? Do you see how they're doing? Do you, see, do you ask how the Lord is, is working in their hearts? How the word is making an impact? Do you, do you, do you seek to know what is what, what's burdening their lives? What crosses they are bearing? What, what crosses they had to face in this past week? How can you help one another? to pray for one another. If one is in a, in a situation where they are called to carry that cross in the public setting or even in a private setting where they have to confess Christ's name and it's so difficult to be faithful, can you, can you pray for one another? Can you encourage one another? And this is where it begins. Have, have peace with one another. And Galatians 6 says, Bear one another's burdens. That includes that burden of the sin and temptation that we are so prone to. And that if, that if people stumble, that if people struggle with sin, can, can, they, can you help one another? Can they go to someone else in the church and seek for help? Can you be salt one to another? We're called to admonish, to rebuke, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And there in Galatians 6, it says that if someone falls, that, that we are to restore them again to usefulness. Restore them again to saltiness. Because if they're living in sin, if they've lost their saltiness, but can we exhort them and rebuke them gently and draw them again to be useful to God? And so we must warn each other about sin and guide each other, especially parents to children and, and, and congregants to each other. But then the congregation to the world. In Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, Paul says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, to the unbelieving world. Redeeming the time, he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer each one. And so that salt is good to know how to answer the unbeliever, how to speak to them correctly and have an effect. And this is not easy. It's a, it's a humbling work. It's a self-denying work because so often it can bring, it cause shame. They'll, they'll try to shame us or they will rebuke, uh, oppose us or, or whatever it may be. It sets us up for the difficulties if they don't want to hear it. But if we fail to take up our cross and to follow the Lord Jesus, either to avoid that persecution or to preserve relationships, we fail to be salt. And at the beginning of this passage in verse uh, 26, you notice that the Lord Jesus doesn't even point out the material costs. 
but he points out those very close and personal costs, the personal relationships in family and then in your own heart, your own reputation, your own desire for honor and peace in this world. He says those we have to deny for the sake of Christ in this world. We must not, though, unnecessarily place ourselves in danger or to look for controversy. Jesus did say in Matthew 10 that if they reject you, they're rejecting not you but God's Word, then, then leave them. If they persecute you, He told them to flee to another city. We are not to unnecessarily put ourselves in danger, but we must be the salt in this world. We must speak the truth in our homes, in our church, and wherever the Lord has placed us. Because this nation can only be preserved through the Word of God. And it's God alone who can uphold it and preserve it. But He uses the means of His Word through the, through the ground and the pillar of His truth, which is the church. And so we see that the purpose of total commitment to following Christ is so that you will be that grain of salt in this world to season and to preserve this world, to bring sinners to Christ and to glorify His name through His Spirit working in you. Amen.